you're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of the Complete Developer Podcast. This week we have something a little bit special for you guys. Uh, if you recall from the mental health episode, we said that, uh, well, Will said that I went full med student on uh, the recording there, and uh, we got three full episodes out of it. So this week, uh, since it is a holiday week and a lot of us will be spending time with our families and uh, possibly having a bit to drink, we're going to talk about substance abuse in uh, the development community. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, well, all kinds of stuff. Um, I just rolled out a uh, message uh, message queuing architecture for my side project over the weekend. Um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of code there, and that was... None of it was really all that difficult. It was just a lot of really deep thought, you know, trying to plan out, you know, architecture way out into the future and, you know, figuring out how we're going to deal with, you know, message queue messages fail, you know, what do we do? And, you know, how do we set policies about, you know, recovery and you know, how do we deploy? And it just ties into everything. It's tangled through everything. Uh, so that was the main thing. And then on top of that, I'm fighting a pretty nasty sinus thing that I haven't been able to get rid of. I've had it for, uh, I think, like a week and a couple of days at this point. Well, it's a good thing that uh, that we're playing an old episode then, huh? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, like last, was it last Monday when we were supposed to record and we didn't? You know, I, you know I'd, I'd come home and I was feeling a little bit off and got kind of dizzy and laid down on the couch and got really, really cold. And I thought, you know, I might ought to check. And I had spiked like 101.7 fever. Remember you telling me that. Yeah. And then it was, it broke during the night. And the fever's gone, but I still have like all the uh, drainage and all that stuff. So uh, what do you do? What are you into? Well, <laughs> it has uh, definitely been an interesting week for me. As uh, most of our listeners know, I had accepted a job up in New York, and uh, Will and I are currently on uh, Cisco's WebEx uh, doing our recording for uh, for this uh, intro, but um, I am no longer in New York. I am in Cleveland, Ohio right now, uh, sitting in the uh, guest room at my sister's house. Uh, I had a little bit of adventure. I got up to uh, to the company in New York, got checked into the hotel, Went to my first day and just kind of realized it really wasn't what I had thought it was going to be. And so I decided, you know, this really isn't isn't for me. I'm just going to uh, tell them I'm not interested and go home. Well, that was more easily said than done because I went to the HR department and uh, let them know, you know, hey, yeah, I know we've got two weeks to kind of decide, but I'm pretty sure this just isn't the right fit for me. And, uh, well, they informed me that they would not pay for my flight back home, even though they'd paid to fly me up there. And uh, I didn't ask, but they also didn't say up front that they wouldn't pay for a flight home if I left in the two first two weeks. 
uh, made some phone calls, called my sister, and uh, she took the day off work on, uh, so that was Thursday, she took the day off on Friday and drove down to New York City and picked me up in Manhattan. So, so uh, major shout out. Uh, well, everything started going sideways, what was it, Thursday? Yeah. Mean? Yeah, because I remember getting all the uh, frantic texts from you trying to figure out, you know, how you were going to get back home and what to do. I didn't yeah, realize you'd take us a day off. Well, that that was after a lot of that stuff. Um, I think I told you I was going to go over there. Originally, I was going to take a train because there is a train that goes from, from New York all the way over here to Cleveland. But uh, then she got back in touch with me and said that she went ahead and took the day off work and would just drive over and pick me up. So... That worked out pretty well. Um, since I've been here, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with uh, with my nephew. Those of y'all that follow me on social media um, already know that because I have posted a ton of pictures and videos. Um, actually, he was in here a little bit earlier when we were getting set up, and uh, I got him to say, dude. <laughs> Anyways, um, mostly I've been working on the project that... Uh, that you handed over to me. So designing a website, a WordPress website for a podcast, uh, converting it from a blog, blogging website to blogging and podcasting. And uh, I've learned quite a bit about kind of the whole process. Um, if you remember, you originally had suggested I make a wireframe and, you know, just get the experience of doing all that myself. And, I found it easier just to go in and get a free Azure website and set up WordPress on there because I can go in and make it look exactly like it will look on the client's page. Yep. And so, which has been very helpful because I can set up a mock page and he's been able to go in, look at it, click through things, tell me what he likes, what he doesn't like. And it's been really helpful uh, having that set up. Though uh, last night I kind of shot myself in the foot. I decided I wanted to uh, to create a child theme for the one that I was using and uh, ended up crashing um, the whole website for a few hours till I ha- went in uh, FTP and deleted all the themes and uh, went back in and was able to, to get it running again. That wasn't fun. Huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's why you have backups, man. Oh, exactly. And I I was so happy because I had just backed up right before I did that, knowing something like that would happen. So I still had everything. It wasn't hard once I got it, once I figured out what had caused it to crash and how to fix it. But I spent probably about an hour or two trying to figure that out. Been there, done that. The, uh, did you get the actual uh, WordPress uh, white screen of Doom? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. Fun times. And now you see why I handed the project off to you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's about all I've been doing. Um, I My sister is a teacher and her principal's husband, uh, and I have been talking, he may have a job uh, for a junior .NET developer up here. So there is a chance I might be able to get a job in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, in which case we will have to figure out how we're going to do our recordings over distance. But uh, otherwise, I'll be back in Nashville uh, while we're driving back Wednesday morning. So, 
Yeah, I'll be back. Well, I mean, you know, if we do the recordings by distance, it'll be, you know, the logistics will be a little bit more difficult, but the uh, beer fridge will stay full a little bit longer, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's uh, about that time. It sure is. So let's uh, let's roll that music and get into some IOTs. This week for IOTs, we're gonna continue our talk on uh, programming languages for IOT with a little talk about Java. Java is a programming language expressly designed for use in the distributed environment of the internet. It's written to be an object-oriented language that is incredibly portable, and uh, there are very, very few hardware dependencies built into the compiler. It can be used to create complete applications that uh, can run on a single computer or can be distributed among servers and clients in a network. Uh, it can also be used to build small application module or applets for use as part of a web page. Uh, who hasn't had to update Java all the frickin' time? The difficulties with using Java in IoT come from uh, making sure that your chosen platform supports Java. Uh, some of the less powerful platforms are not as likely to have the Java support that you'll need. And to Make sure that you have the hardware support libraries that are available uh, because they'll pretty much have all the control functions you'll need. Oracle, who publishes Java, has an Internet of Things platform that delivers an integrated, secure, and comprehensive platform for the entire Internet of Things architecture across all vertical markets. Uh, some of the benefits of Java for IoT are... Uh, Real-time response capabilities for millions of device endpoints, faster time to market, full end-to-end -end security, integration with IT systems, a worldwide coordinated ecosystem for partners, and end-to-end -end compatibility and lifecycle solution management. I've got a couple of links uh, to the information uh, on here, and uh, I will post that for you guys in the show notes. Uh, so now we'll get to, to talking about our topic for this week, substance abuse. And most of the information we have comes from NCAD, ncadd.org, which is the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. And just like the other mental health episodes, we will start with a definition. And the definition of substance abuse is overindulgence in or dependence on an addictive substance. This is usually due to self-medicating for other issues. There's a few early warning signs that come about. Uh, first of those is you know, there's a number of physical um, and health warning signs that show up. Bloodshot eyes, pupils that have uh, gotten smaller or larger than normal, depending on what they're taking. Uh, frequent nosebleeds. That tends to come about with uh, snorted drugs like meth and cocaine. I actually worked with a guy that had fairly frequent nosebleeds, and it was from that. It, was, uh, it wasn't meth. It was Peruvian marching powder. Another another thing that comes about frequently is changes in appetite or sleep patterns, sudden weight loss or weight gain. You know, These go hand-in-hand hand with the, uh, the sleep issues and the changes in appetite. Um, seizures without a history of epilepsy or other 
Seizure disorders. Seizure yeah. disorders. Uh, deterioration in personal grooming or physical appearance. Um, I've, I've seen a couple of people that I've worked with that have been, you could tell that they were starting to become drug addicts because they, they started dressing a little bit more sloppily. Their facial hair grew out. They didn't... Um, they didn't clean up after themselves. When I make a comment about facial hair growing out, don't look at me like I'm a druggie. <laughs> I can't yeah, help it's, it, dude. It's been growing out for like two years. Come on. Uh, well, <laughs> mine's already longer, and I've been doing it for less. Yeah. Well, uh, no, what I wanted to say with that was um, this is different from normal. If they are normally... Yeah, if you're normally grubby like me, it's not a sign of addiction, you know? It's just... You're just shabby. It's all good. Yeah. So another thing that comes about... Um, as as people become dependent on drugs, is uh, you know they get a lot of accidents and injuries, and they won't really talk about how they got hurt. Especially alcohol abusers in the workplace, you know, there tend to be a lot of uh, facial bruising where they've run into something. Apparently, their cabinets attack them once a week, every Saturday night. Their cabinets fly open and hit them in the face. Um, I worked with three or four of those kind of people, and it's where they actually really what was happening is they were getting drunk and they were wanting you know, getting in somebody's face and getting the crap kicked out of them. You know, this sort of behavior kind of, you know, culminates in physical injury. Um, A lot of times it'll come about, there's unusual smells on the, you know, the breath, the body, the clothing, um, or personal articles that they own. Mm -hmm. Uh, You tend to get a lot of this with people that smoke weed, smoke crack, various other things. Uh, You'll smell alcohol on the breath. Big time. I've, mm-hmm. I've worked with two or three uh, functional alcoholics. That that smell was always kind of around them. Whatever you hear about DUIs with sucking on pennies or stuff like that to get out of a breathalyzer, it doesn't work because that's not how they detect the alcohol. What happens is when you've got the alcohol in your bloodstream... It's byproducts from the alcohol. Well, it's... Um, it? the, the breathalyzer, what happens is the... When your blood passes through the lungs, it takes in oxygen and it releases carbon dioxide and nitrogen and other things, including alcohol alcohol. vapors. And I think there's some of the biological byproducts in there, too. They use that as a control because there was an issue with breathalyzer tests at one point because of things that were you know, creating false positives like mouthwash and some of those kind of things. So they use some of the things that indicate that you are actually metabolically engaged with the alcohol, I guess is the best way to put it. Another thing you'll see is shakes, tremors, uh, incoherent or slurred speech, uh, impaired or unstable coordination. Um, I had a coworker at a previous job that frequently, you know, he would come in and there was, there was always a faint whiff of alcohol around him and we weren't quite sure whether it was cologne or something else. It was kind of a, it was an odd bird anyway, and we thought, well, maybe he makes his own, or you know, we, we kind of wrote it off for a little while, and then we dealt with him a couple of times where he would come back from lunch and his speech was really really slurred, and you know, he worked from home and we had to call him, and he was his speech was extremely slurred there, and he was pretty much incoherent, and we you know we got him on a webcam and he was clumsy on the webcam, and there's just a lot of stuff going on, and actually this guy ended up. Um, from a former employer ended up getting terminated uh, from the position as a result of that. And we found out about four or five months later that he had passed on from cirrhosis. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, this is, these sort of things are kind of common and you'll, uh, if you've, if you've been in the industry long enough, you'll start 
seeing this because a lot of developers, you know, they think, okay, well, it's a sedentary job. It's a desk job. I can come in drunk and sit there. Well, and you can because you're sitting there, but you're also not effective. You know, you're, you're very disruptive to your coworkers, even if you don't realize that you are. Those are the physical and health warning signs. Now, there's some other stuff that comes up as well. Uh, you have beh- behavioral signs of drug abuse. Uh, there tends to be a drop in attendance. Um, obviously, if you're you're getting drunk, stoned, whatever, you know, on work nights, you're going to have a hard time coming in in the morning. Um, another thing that will come up is loss of interest in extracurricular activities, hobbies, sports, exercise. You know, really, uh, as we discussed before, these these things sound very similar to depression. They kind of go, they kind of dovetail along with it a lot of times. Well, that's because a lot of people... A lot of people have both. No, a lot of people have both. A lot of people are... <laughs> They're not, fixing one with the other. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they don't realize it, but they are self-medicating for depression with alcohol and drugs. Yeah, either depression or OCD or something along those lines. Eventually, you get uh, complaints from coworkers, supervisors, teachers, or classmates. You know, bear in mind that when you come into work, you're working with other people and you're affecting those other people. So eventually, they complain when when your problems start hurting them. Another thing, and I've actually seen this with coworkers, is an un- unusual or unexplained need for money or financial problems, uh, borrowing from other people in the office, stealing. Uh, you'll see that in the workplace. Oh yeah, where people, you know, somebody had money on their desk and it disappears. And you know, a lot of times coworkers, you know, if you're especially if you're in a secured area, somebody steals a dollar off your desk. Do you really want to raise that up the ladder to HR? Okay, you lost a dollar, but how much time are you going to lose trying to track that dollar down? And so people let that slide, but it, it kind of get where it gets around. Things, you know, things go missing. You know, a lot of places, you know, too, don't have camera systems, right? So they don't really have a way of telling exactly what happened. So you'll see that a lot in the workplace. Uh, you'll see sudden changes in relationships, uh, friends, favorite hangouts, hobbies. It's weird, like uh, addicts tend to quickly shift friends because I think a lot of times the friends either know something's wrong or something majorly offensive has happened and they just, you know, it's like they're breaking up with people. They're like middle school. A lot of it also yeah. has to do with uh, as people start to get closer to them, they will start to see patterns that will lead them to believe the person is an addict, and so the addict will bounce around. You see this also in uh, certain personality disorders. Another thing that, that will frequently happen is that they get into trouble. They get into arguments, fights, accidents, illegal activities. You know, they're arguing with coworkers. I, I worked with a guy who was using steroids, right, illegally. And it was it was known in the office, you know, among the people there, even though it was a drug-free workplace, which I never could quite understand why this was okay, but you know, whatever, you don't, you don't rock the boat, right? And this guy was so enraged at, you know, like, everybody was walking on eggshells around him. Of course, the running joke was everybody was walking on eggshells because he, he he ate hard-boiled eggs all day, too. <laughs> um, it was something with the protein with his steroids, and, you know, he was he was super-duper muscled up. You know, he would, he would fly off the handle. I mean, I saw him snap a laptop. So now get into some of the uh, psychological things, right? The, another thing that you'll see as people transition in, you know, from just using to being addicted, uh, there'll be unexplained changes in personality or attitude. Uh, it's not just breaking laptops. You know, sometimes it's, you know, they're kind of, they either withdraw socially or they get really loud and boisterous when they haven't been before. I've seen guys that were complete, total nerds. That, you know, you're like, okay, you know, I get along with them great, but they're not, they're not the kind of people that you bring to a cocktail party because they talk to everybody. Right. And then all of a sudden they're jumping all over the place. 
because they're on something. Well, I usually like to invite those types of people to parties because it makes them more interesting. But again, it's it's a sudden change in behavior, right? I mean, that's that's one thing that you see. Uh, another thing you'll see is sudden mood changes, um, irritability. We already discussed that, right? You know, angry outbursts. Mm-hmm. Um, same guy, Roy Rage Boy, right? And I mean, he's he's since gotten better. I think honestly, whoever was dosing him might have just kind of tipped the needle a little bit, a little bit above what he needed. Um, there was somebody ringing a bell down the hall, right? This guy flips out and starts screaming at the top of his lungs over a cube farm. Says there's either a, what did he say? There's either a mentally disabled person. You know, he used the other word for that, or a shriner down the hall, and they need to effing stop. Right in the middle of the day, somebody you know somebody had rung a little one of those little handbells like the Shriners have at yeah. you know Christmas, and he was just he completely twisted off over that, huh. and everybody else in the office put on headphones. You know, and he had a big nice pair of those Coast headphones, like the big ones that go over your ears and make the side of your head look like Princess Leia. He had those. He had the, like the noise cancelers, and it's like put the headphones. Well, it's because he he had biochemical changes going on that were messing him up. Um, Another thing that you'll see is uh, periods of unusual hyperactivity or agitation. Uh, this is another thing I've I've seen people that start out and they, they start drinking a lot of caffeine, they start building up, and really, you know, there's a lot. Of, if we, if we want to talk about addictions, caffeine in this industry, holy crap! Well, caffeine's an addiction in a lot of places. Yeah. Now I do have a question for you because I haven't seen it, but um, how is nicotine? Do we have a lot of smokers? It's not as bad as it used to be. I say because it's difficult to be a smoker nowadays, especially in an office environment. It is, and you know there was a brief period. Um, well, I say brief. It was brief for my career, right? Because I started, you know, in '03, really full time, where smokers really were kind of better off because they took breaks, yeah, constantly. And you know, I would take smoke breaks, and I didn't smoke. But I would stand down there with the smokers because what are you going to do? You know, are you going to jump on me when these yeah. guys are out here four times a week and I'm out here once a week? But now, you know, nicotine use in the office is, is sharply on the decline. And, you know, they've gotten to the point now where it's very hard on smokers. So you're not going to see as much of that. And it's declining. Um, there's other psychological warning signs. There's you know, lack of motivation and ability to focus. Um, you'll notice that a lot of them dovetail very nicely with symptoms of depression. That's because they happen concurrent with depression or in many cases people are on downers of some sort so they're they're basically exhibiting the same symptoms because they're down from where they should be another thing that you'll see sometimes with with some different meds and you don't see this as much um, is you know they're they're withdrawn they're anxious they're fearful they're paranoid you'll see a lot of you know panicky type behavior i've seen this with with cocaine addicts like I, believe it or not i've worked with quite a few addicts Oh, no, I, various points I could really see cocaine being a very popular uh, it is, drug. Right? The amount of caffeine and nicotine it used to be that people consumed, right? They get to a certain point and the caffeine doesn't do anything for them. They need a boost. And so what do they do? They go to something harder. And they're not going to, you know, weed isn't going to help them. So they're going to they're well, gonna get something. It's a psychedelic anyways. Right. One of the biggest sections here is early warning signs. Not only to look for in your own behavior, but you can detect it with friends, loved ones, um, even coworkers. And uh, well, you're honestly think about it, you're around your coworkers more than you're around your family. You know, I mean, we've got a mutual friend 
that works with me sits right behind me in the office right now, right? And he doesn't do drugs or anything. Like, I'm not trying to bring that up, but the, <laughs> I could you know, never see him. I couldn't actually picture him doing drugs. So <laughs> that would be I, scary. I can't even think about how that would work. <laughs> but the thing about that is, is, well, I spend what, eight and a half, nine, sometimes 10 hours a day with him. When was the last time I spent 10 hours in a day with my wife, you know, with, without interruptions? Well, it's like, you don't. You spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family most of the time because because why having good coworkers is very important, which means being a good coworker is very important. Wow, dropping the knowledge, are we? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you know, as a coworker, you're in the best position, right, to see this stuff coming. If you're a manager, you're you're not really in as good of a position as a teammate, and so you'll see somebody start to break, and you start to see these sort of behaviors start to come out these sort of changes and a lot of times you know some of these things can actually precede the drug use yeah that's like i said that's why these are early warning signs is a lot of times you can catch it early enough on to where it may not become a lifelong problem well like okay so we're we're talking about tolerance somebody does drugs more they do drink more alcohol your tolerance builds up um there's there's no saying the saying is is the man takes a drink the drink takes a drink and the drink takes the man and so the, the idea is that over time, your body develops the ability to to function with a certain level of chemicals in your system. There's you know there's biological feedback mechanisms basically so that you can continue to function when you're kind of out of out of range on something. Stuff. And also, if you uh, if you do talk to any addicts, one thing that they will say that's a big issue with a lot of them. I mean, I've I worked in addictions with them and talked to them every day uh, as they were going through the process of recovery. And you know, almost all of them that were serious about their recovery said that what led them to full-blown addiction was trying to repeat that experience from their early days of using. Yeah, I've, either, I've seen that with recreational drug users. Um, and then you have the depressive types of people that have, a, you know, they have either anxiety or depression, and they're trying to not relive something. Well, yeah, there is that, too. That's that's the other side of it. So that's that's part of the dynamic that drives people, in, you know, more towards increased levels of drug use to the point where it starts really doing, you know, significant damage. Um, the next thing is withdrawal. If you, if you drop off of most drugs, you know, alcohol included, actually, alcohol is extremely dangerous you know, compared to a lot of things that are illegal alcohol is immensely destructive oh yeah i mean it can withdrawal from alcohol like from a, a true alcoholic who uses I mean, we're talking someone who drinks a fifth of vodka a day or something yeah stopping especially cold turkey can lead to seizures and death even yeah this is why where i worked uh at the psychiatric hospital we we took people off of alcohol in a process with medication and monitoring. And you have to do something fairly similar. I mean, everybody knows the story of, well, credit, everybody knows somebody that quit smoking and how tremendously unpleasant they were then. I'll tell you what's, what's ironic. And this, was, this always fascinated me uh, when I was working. Alcohol and benzos, or um, anti-anxiety medication, really, muscle relaxers too those are the dangerous things to come off of like you really you, know, you your can heart rate gets too high and yeah you could do, you could die from withdrawal from those but the thing that was the 
least dangerous, but probably the most painful to come off of, was the opiates. It was like heroin. Like, junkies that shoot up, they're going to go through more pain and suffering coming off of it, but it is less dangerous to stop using that. So, and this, and this kind of goes into the whole thing of, you know, the next thing that, that tends to show up as a sign or a symptom, right, is, is loss of control. Uh, typically, when, when you're around addicts and you're seeing how they're using, you know, they, they take a drink and they go, okay, this is my last drink. But, you know, four drinks later, this is my last drink, I promise. Does that mean I'm addicted to talking? Because I, I usually tell people, all right, well, I need to get going, and then four hours later, I actually leave. Yeah, well, no, but... You'll, you'll see this progression, right, as they, they lose the ability, as they're using, to, to put the brakes on their own use. Over time, you know, they get a desire to stop. They can't. Let's say this doesn't always happen, that they desire to stop. It's, this is more of a, if they get the desire to stop but can't. Right. If they express regret, this, this reminds me, there's a quick diagnostic tool that they teach us in medical school that... It doesn't mean that you have a substance abuse or a dependency, but it is a early warning sign um, ruled in type thing so that if you do answer yes to one of these, further testing is needed kind of thing. And it's called CAGE. It starts off with the C for cut down, and you ask, have you ever thought that you ought to cut down on your drinking or drug use? Or has anyone told you you should cut down? The next one is annoyed, so C-A. Annoyed, have people annoyed you by criticizing your drinking or drug use? Then you have guilty. Have you ever felt bad or guilty about your drinking or drug use or woken up and felt guilty morning after using? And then the last one is, have you ever had a drink or use drugs first thing in the morning to steady your nerves or to get rid of a hangover? These are just four quick questions that primary care physicians can ask that will direct them to further questioning. So another another thing that comes down here is uh, you know, addicts tend to neglect other activities, uh, especially things that used to be important to them. You know, spending time with family, uh, hobbies, uh, you know, time with friends. They tend to spend that time getting high. It you know, tends to to gradually eat more and more of their life. So over time, it takes up greater time, energy, and focus. And they, they spend a lot more time, you know, using drugs, thinking about using drugs, trying to figure out how they're going to get their drugs. They start, you know, dropping their interests and it starts, it, it pretty much just goes through their entire system psychologically. Eventually, um, negative consequences come calling. You know, they spend their rent money on drugs or, you know, hey, they can't keep their kid in daycare because they spent that money on drugs. At that point, if they, you know, if they continue use, it's a it's a fair bet that they're addicted because they can't stop. Even with horrible negative consequences, they're physically, mentally, and psychologically unable to get away from it. You know, what what kind of things can you expect from an addict in the workplace, right? We've talked about a lot of negative consequences. You know, job performance really suffers. There's inconsistent work quality, um, at least early on, right, as they start kind of spiking in use. Their work, work quality will go to crap, you know, right after they've been using or if they're using at work. When they're not a consistent addict, you know, their work going to pot is not necessarily consistent either, right? So it gets written off by management. It kind of gets allowed to slide for a while. Well, one thing that, that happens, especially with a, with a lot of kind of functional addicts, is 
they will have they'll have those times where they do come in, you know, drunk or high or whatever, and you know that does affect them. Or when they come in hungover, but that's not all the time. Whereas they may be using all the time, but they're not. They're good enough with it to not come into work like that, yeah. except on rare occasions. And I, I've seen several that were just absolutely brilliant people. And the thing is, is they were they had an intelligence greater than the norm to such a degree that they could let it slide some. And they were actually still more productive than the other people there for a while until it started catching up with them. And then they crashed hard. Mm-hmm. Because they still had, you know, everybody knew they were smarter and they had higher expectations on her, on them and they just, they crash and burn. Um, another thing you'll see is, you know, obviously poor concentration, lack of focus, uh, lower productivity, you know, really weird, you know, work patterns. You can't ever tell if they're, you know, going to get anything done or not. You know, they'll be absent a lot. They'll be spaced out at their desk, non-focused, not getting work done. They'll disappear from the job site. Uh, I worked with a guy that was a cocaine addict, and he you know, he owned the company. And he would come in in the morning, and he was he was tired. And, you know, he was like the rest of us. And then he would disappear for about fifteen minutes, you know, fifteen twenty minutes every morning before the morning meeting. There, we really couldn't figure out where he was going. And we finally discovered, oh hey, he's going into the bathroom. And you know, and I found a uh, I found a razor blade in there one morning, and you know, I didn't really really didn't even put the pieces together. I never did find the mirror, so. I'm, kind of concerned about where he was making his lines um, but that's kind of gross anyway but when he would come out he was all hyper and just you know ready to go and you know rubbing his nose all the time and he was I mean he was he was a coke fiend and and so you'll see those kind of disappearances especially when people are actually using at work um, the other thing you'll, you'll see is you know there's a lot of workplace behavioral issues so they'll they'll be having financial problems and so they get you know, sometimes they're they're asking for raises when they don't really merit it they're you know, they're trying to find ways to get money out of the system, get money out of other people, really start getting some serious hustle. They start avoiding colleagues. Yeah, they want to avoid the people that are close to them because they're the ones that are going to recognize that there's a problem. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like, you know, if you're working with some developer, right, and, you know, and he's he's kind of a dirty neck beard and, you know, he's, he's starting to, he's losing his edge and you can tell he's not focused and he's, you know, he's bumbling a whole lot, you know, social interactions. Well, you know the guy, and you know that he once wasn't that way. Some dude from another department that just met him has no idea. He thinks, well, they're all like that. Yeah. And so he, he can hide among people he doesn't know a whole lot easier than he can hide among people he does know. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you'll see, and I've seen this um, at a couple places, is actually the, those people are dealing drugs to other employees, which is absolutely crazy. If for any number of reasons, you know, now you're exposing yourself to getting caught. You're going to lose your job. You're going to get arrested. You're going to have like, you know, basically everything's going to go wrong all at once when it does go. But mm-hmm. you know, they're at the point now where they're scrambling. They're trying to get money and yeah. selling drugs seems like a good way because hey, they like their drugs and they they've got a supply line, so mm-hmm. they're doing that. Um, another thing they'll do is they'll they'll steal other people's prescription medications too. If they have in their desk and they know. Another thing you'll see is, you know, obviously deterioration in appearance and hygiene. It's not so much, you know, obviously like growing hair, growing beard. That tends to not be as big of a deal, but uh, fingernails. And you know, fingernails start getting really long, especially that pinky. When you see that long pinky nail, that really only means one thing, guys. <laughs> um, you, you know, or they'll, you know, they'll just be dirty. You know, they're not, they're not taking care of themselves. Their, their breath is bad. Their, their skin has this pallor to it. 
it, you'll you'll start to see a lot of that sort of behavior with particular drugs. Not all of them, though. Yeah, some of them too. It'll it's I, I've I've seen it where it will wind somebody up that was anal retentive a little bit before, and now they're like this super neat freak. So some of the things that you can do uh, for yourself or that you can help with uh, empl- other employees, coworkers, friends, family. One of the big things is EAP. It's the Employee Assistance Program. It's required for all places that have a certain number of employees to, to offer this. And uh, it's confidential. No one will know. Even your boss won't know that you're going. Uh, unless, of course, they make you go. And that's a different, completely different situation. Uh, but the areas that it covers are personal issues, job stress, relationship, elder care, child care, parenting issues, harassment, substance abuse, and uh, grieving, helping to balance work and life, financial and legal issues, and family violence. Uh, there's a couple of different types of referrals. Uh, the first one is the one that I talked about where the your boss, no one at, at your work even knows, and the EAP has to be outside of your work. So if you work at a hospital or something like that, it has to be separate from that. That first one is a self-referral, uh, and that's where the uh, you, the employee or you seek it out on your own. And then the other two are ones where your boss refers you, or the first one is an informal referral. That's where a supervisor, uh, possibly a friend or coworker, recommends EAP. Uh, same with the self-referral. Now, the last one, this is a formal referral, and it's based on job performance, and your supervisor recommends this, and this does go in your employee file. Right, well, they have to, I mean, at that point, it's, you know, something that's happened on the job site. You know, somebody's gotten hurt, you showed up drunk. You know, there's things that now start to be a legal risk to the employer, and so they're yeah. they're filing this, and it's going in your employee file in case they have to can you later, because... They need to have their ducks in a row. A lot of times what will happen is if you don't self-refer and they see it coming, they will make an informal referral, one that won't go on any permanent record or anything like that. And that's your chance to, to act there. If you are the person that's being told, hey, I think you really need to go to the employee assistance program to talk to somebody about what's going on with you, that's your chance to step up and show, hey, I'm, I want to get better. I want to take care of this. And usually what they'll do is they will give you uh, at least one chance. Most of the time they'll give you a couple of chances unless something happens before you get that formal referral. Yeah, and a lot of times the, you know, if, the, if the thing that happens is bad enough, that, that whole process gets skipped as well. That's true. I mean, it, it does depend on, on the situation. Well, how long you're working there and you know, how trustworthy you are, if they know what else is going on with you. Um, there's, yeah. there's a lot of variables that... Well, that I mean, there's kind of there's a big difference from you've been working at the company for 10, 15 years and you know, not had any serious problems until recently. And you know, it's because you, your wife died and you, you know, your dog got run over and you're... You know, you just had three or four good hits in a row. And, yeah. 
you know, basically versus, life is like a country song. Yeah, versus you know, you just started there six weeks ago and you've been drunk for five of them. You know, that one you don't, you probably aren't going to get any slack. No, but there, there's a huge range of how this stuff works out. But there are programs in place uh, to help you. Now, a lot of job sites, if you're if you're working at a smaller company, there's not really an employee assistance program at, at that point. You have to start looking into some other things. Uh, there's a lot of 12-step programs. I know they get a lot of flack um, for any number of reasons. Uh, you know, there's Narcotics Anonymous, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, but it's you know there's there's always there's always some sort of option that's actually a you know somewhat of a treatment plan. There's also treatment centers. Yeah. Right. Sometimes if it's if it's bad enough that. Oh, especially if you need help with detoxing with the early parts of it. And there's several different types of treatment centers. Where I worked at was a short-term detox. So most people stayed there about a week, sometimes two weeks. And we were just to get you off of whatever you were on. What we've been talking about is if you have a problem, well, what do you do if... What options are available if someone you know and care about has a problem, well, there is a group called Al-Anon, uh, but it's specifically for families of addicts. and Families and close friends. Yeah, both. families and close friends. And you don't even have to be associated with a, you know, a person that's in their associated AA or NA group. You can just go and get support. These people are very good and very helpful. That kind of covers things that you can do early on for yourself and for others as well as what to do when you feel like you have a problem or if you know someone that has a problem there's a lot more out there if you want further reading check out our show notes if you do feel like you have a problem seek help and we'll have those resources there in the show notes uh, to kind of get you started in the right direction so this isn't necessarily about just if you're an addict being able to fix it it's being in a situation where, hey, if you see somebody else as an addict, you can actually help them instead of just sitting there helpless. Yeah, I, I agree. That was very well said. Uh, and with that, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, this week I have another uh, text editing tool that I think a number of the listeners will actually like. This is Markdown Pad, or well, Markdown Pad 2, version 2 is out now. And... If you're familiar with Markdown, it's a language that you can basically transpile into HTML, but it's a lot simpler to work with, so you don't have to worry about not closing tags and those sorts of things. It's a, a limited subset of HTML, although they've pushed it in pretty good ways. So uh, Markdown Pad, um, out of the box, the free version will actually you know let you edit regular Markdowns, um, which is, is cool enough. But if you buy the paid version, you can actually edit GitHub-flavored markdown. So you can include code in C-sharp, Python, Perl, Ruby, this huge litany of languages. And what it will actually do is format it like that language and color-code it so that it looks decent. So How much is the, the full version, though? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, it is $14.95. U.S. Like one time only? It's not like a monthly fee? It's one time only. That That's not expensive at all. No, like, I already own it. That's like uh, what a CD used to cost. Yeah. 
So it's it's really uh, it's really a pretty slick tool, and especially if you're doing uh, GitHub repositories and you have like a README.md. Yeah, that's a markdown file that GitHub renders for you, so you could build that file on your desktop and push it up to GitHub, and you've got that README. But you get a preview locally without all that pushing it up there and then seeing how it's screwed up and then fixing it and then pushing it again. Yeah, I just usually write it in GitHub. Well, you could do that as well. Um, and there's other, you know, there's other places that you can use this as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, just... No, I mean, it. it's handy. I didn't realize you could do that directly in GitHub because you used to not be able to do that. Yeah, you can. It used to be you pushed it up to a separate branch. The readme.md? I recall correctly, yeah. Well, when I when I did the the tutorial, it had you editing it in GitHub. Like you can edit it anything in GitHub. You could right? you could edit it, but did you get a preview right there by it? I don't remember now. Because this so this puts the the markdown code side by side with the preview of it. Live. Oh, that's that's nice. Right, so you can edit it there, and then you can put it up on GitHub, and so you're not clicking around as much, and you can just. You can yeah. work on the thing you're working on instead of trying okay, to I see, see what, what you did. I see what you're saying. That is... That's a lot of pain um, removed. When we stop recording, I'm going to be downloading that. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised you don't already have it, actually. Yeah, I am, too. I had not heard of... I've got know. every other piece of software on your system. <laughs> I don't know Markdown. It's easy. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll give you another resource, and I think I may have... I, I can't always remember if I've mentioned something before or not. Uh, if you go to daringfireball.org, they have markdown tutorials. Yeah, you've sent me that link before. Yeah. So if you want to learn how to use markdown, you know, for using it with this editor, that's that's a great place to go. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And this is available on markdownpad.com. Pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.